As we continue our series on sharing the story, sharing God's story, we're going to spend a few moments this morning uh, looking at one of the stories that Jesus told, the famous parable of the sower. At the beginning of Matthew chapter 13, we hear that Jesus leaves the house that he'd been staying at and goes to sit by a lake. And then because so many people start gathering uh, to hear him, he gets in a boat to avoid the massing crowds. Uh, Facing him are not the people of learning, of power, uh, the men of the synagogue, but the masses, the real people, the farmers, the tradespeople, the fishermen, uh, the, the women, the men and the children. And so he starts to speak to them using parables using illustrations out there in the open air, stories that would grab people's attention and bring the truths of the kingdom of God alive to these real people. And he tells them the story of a farmer, a farmer who goes out to scatter some seed, the parable of the sower. Now, I expect you, like me, have heard a number of sermons over the years on this parable, unpacking the meanings of the types of soil. The parable holds a mirror up to us, challenging us to consider which type of soil we might relate to. The seed sown by the farmer is the word of God, and the different soils represent how the listener hears and receives and responds to the message. And so this morning, we're going to look briefly at the four different soils. And as we do so, consider what kind of soil you are at the moment, which kind of soil you relate most to at the moment, at this point in your story. You see, at different times in our lives, in our journeys with God, we will be like different soils. And which soil we are will affect how effective we are at sharing God's story, God's message. So maybe you're like the path at the moment. Maybe your heart feels a little bit hard. Maybe coming into church this morning felt like a bit of a drag for you. We heard the message of Jesus, but nowadays it almost feels like it just bounces off us. Maybe your faith in Jesus just stays on the surface of your life at the moment. Or are you like the rocky ground? You've heard and you've responded to the word of God, but at the moment you just don't feel rooted. Your roots don't go down very far at all. Perhaps you're just about surviving on spiritual highs, but in between you feel that your faith could just wither and die at any moment. Or are you like the thorny ground, the external pressures of modern day life, children, grandchildren, family, money, work, the world are all around you and they divide your heart and you feel like you're being choked spiritually. You're pulled in so many different directions. You're wanting to follow Jesus on the one hand, but there's all this stuff choking your relationship with him in the day to day. Or maybe you're like the good soil. You feel rooted and you're growing in your relationship with God. But the challenge here is to whether you're allowing God to use you to produce a crop of 30, 60, 100-fold growth. There's so much for us to consider, aren't there, with these four soils. And where our heart is this morning 
can affect our willingness to be used by God to share his story. But this morning, I want us to spend the rest of the time thinking less about the soil and more about us as the sower. You see, for all of us who have heard and received the seed, the good news of Jesus, no matter which soil we feel like this morning coming into church or where our heart is, our role doesn't stop at hearing and receive, at the hearing and the receiving stage. The command of Matthew 28, which we've looked at a number, t- a number of times over the last few weeks, reminds us that we are now partakers in God's mission. And we are to make disciples of all generations. If you are a follower of Jesus, it's all our responsibility to sow the good news of Jesus into other people's lives. So we're going to spend uh, the next few minutes thinking about the how and why of our jobs as sowers. The first thing that strikes me is uh, that we need to sow seed into fertile soil. We need to sow seed into fertile soil. A man uh, went into a bar uh, and he asked uh, the barman, obviously, for a pint of beer. Uh, The man, Julie, draws the pint of beer, whatever you do with beer. Uh, I handed over the beer uh, to the guy, but the guy had no money. Um, So I admitted this to the man, and obviously the barman gets pretty cross about this. Uh, But the man said, well, I have got a hamster in my pocket, and this hamster can play the jazz piano. If he plays for you, can I have my pint of beer for free? And so the barman sort of reluctantly goes, all right then, you know, joker, who's this? Uh, But the man gets the hamster out of his pocket, pops it on the piano, and incredibly, the hamster can play the jazz piano, and everybody's completely amazed. Anyway, later on in the evening, the man gets rather parched, goes up to the barman and asks for another pint of beer. And the man said, but you haven't got any money. How are you going to pay for this pint of beer? And he said, well, in my other pocket, I've got a frog who can sing opera. And the barman sort of goes, oh, go on then. Here's your pint of beer. Get your frog out. So he gets his frog out of his pocket, puts it on the bar. The frog puts his arms or whatever these things are on frogs out loud, out wide, and sings this incredible aria. And everybody in the bar is gobsmacked, you know, jazz-playing hamster, aria-singing frog. The evening goes on, and as the, the man uh, goes to leave the pub uh, that evening, the barman grabs him and says, you know, um, I want to buy you know, your frog off you. I'll give you £500 for that frog. And the man just goes, yeah, all right, and hands over the frog, receives the £500. And as he goes out the door, somebody grabs him on the way out and says, you know, you're an idiot. You could have made an absolute fortune from that frog. And the man turns to him and said, well, I could have done, apart from the fact that the hamster is a ventriloquist. (laughs) Sometimes uh, we need to see the big picture of what's going on, don't we? Not just focus on what appears immediately before us. Going back to the parable of the sower, it's about sowing the seed but it's also about what's gone before as well, the big picture. The image of the farmer scattering the seed in Jesus' parable can seem as though Jesus is telling us uh, to just have a sort of scattergun approach to evangelism, throw out the message far and wide and just see who it hits. 
uh, throw out random invitations to alpha courses or engage our colleagues right there and then over the photocopier or the water fountain on the big issues of science and religion, evil and suffering. Um, and if that's what we're to do, and then somehow imagine that that seed that we've thrown out will take root and, root and grow. But I don't think that's how it is in reality, because there is a bigger picture. We need to scatter the seed into fertile soil. You see, any farmer worth his salt would have done everything they could to prepare the soil, to prepare the land before they scattered the seed. They'd have tilled the soil, turned it over, made it ready to receive the seed. They'd have been on their hands and knees picking out weeds uh, out of the mud. They might have even gone to their next door farmer and collected a load of dung and put that in the field and dug it in as well, getting the soil ready. They'd have got dirty and tired and fed up in the process. And only when they'd done all that back-breaking work would the farmer step out to sow the seed into soil ready to receive the seed, into fertile soil. We're moving as a church towards the launch of our next Alpha course this autumn. It's a prime time for you and I to invite our friends and family along to hear the message of Jesus. And sometimes people do just randomly come into church and come on an Alpha course and become Christians. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit doing his thing. But the majority of people who come along are, are folk who know you, who you have become friends with, who you have shared your lives with. There'll be people who you have been kind and generous with in your everyday. They're people who have been watching you and have been interested in the fact that you perhaps have ethical working practices or will have noticed that you work hard, but not just for your own benefit or to get higher in the ladder, up the ladder. Or our friends who are simply interested in the fact that you're a really nice person and you go to church in 2016. There are people perhaps that you've been praying for as well. You might even have had a conversation or two over time about religion or Christianity or church. And all that is preparing the ground. And so when you're sat there thinking, well, you know, I'm no evangelist. I cannot tell people about Jesus or convert people. That's okay. As a disciple of Jesus, we just need to be naturally going about our lives, living for Jesus. And by doing that, we're preparing the ground. And then when the time is right, when we sow the seed, the Holy Spirit will do the rest. So we're to sow the seed of Jesus into fertile ground. And secondly, for some folk, part of making the ground fertile may be to sow seeds of dissatisfaction into their lives. I really believe that so much of the Western world today is satisfied with a purposeless, hopeless, shallow existence. People are being sucked into the spin of atheist evangelists like Dawkins and others that, that throw out this humanist view of the world. The search for money and success or happiness, whatever that is, becomes people's creed. They believe they'll be satisfied with this habitual gathering of more and more stuff and are addicted to seeking out pleasure. 
They've built their lovely house on the sand and believe that they have made it whilst looking down on those who have built their houses on the rock as having missed the point and wasted their time. They live with a false sense of security and hope. But when the storm comes, we know what happens to the foolish man who built his house on the sand. In 2009, uh, a newspaper columnist, Ian Wilson, many of you uh, will recognize him. I think we've got a picture coming up on the screen there. Or we can just about see him. He um, wrote an intriguing article in the New Statesman. You can read it online. Just put newstatesman.com uh, in. And he describes in this article his Damascus Road conversion to atheism, age 38. He says this, I realized that after a lifetime of church going, the whole house of cards had collapsed for me. The sense of God's presence in my life, the notion that there was any kind of God, let alone a merciful God in this brutal and nasty world. As for Jesus, having been the founder of Christianity, this idea seemed perfectly preposterous. He describes his time as being an atheist, humanist disciple of Dawkins and Hume. But then how gradually, over the next 20 years, his atheist armour begins to crumble. As first of all, he faces the death of some people he really loves. And as he wrestled with the questions that simply being human brought, and the lack of a substantial answer from materialism and humanism. Until at last, 20 years after his conversion to atheism, he comes back to faith. And his reflection on his experience is beautifully put when he says this. When I think about atheist friends, they seem to me like people who have no ear for music or who have never been in love. It is not that, as they believe, they have rumbled the tremendous fraud of religion. Prophets do that in every generation. Rather, these unbelievers are simply missing out on something that is not difficult to grasp. When Jesus spoke in parables like the one we're looking at today, he was holding a mirror up to those who were listening. And it was a reflection that wasn't always easy for people to grasp or to stomach. And so I think that much of our job as Christians today, as people who are not sorted, who haven't got it all lined up, who struggle to walk the windy, sometimes difficult road of faith, is to generously and lovingly sow those little seeds of dissatisfaction into the minds and into the lives of the people that we share our lives with. Maybe you've got a friend who's decided that they are an atheist. Ask them to explain to you why. Ask your friend what feeds your soul. Maybe pray for them. Offer to pray with somebody. I've prayed with so many people who think that they're atheists who are not, obviously, um, but also, you know, demonstrate an alternative as well by sharing your life with others. Show them that there is an alternative to this popular worldview. Let them see you living a life of hope, of community, a life of love and of faith, a God-filled life. So maybe we need to be sowing seeds of dissatisfaction. And thirdly, we're to sow generously. 
The thing that strikes me most profoundly from this parable is the way that the farmer sows with such generosity. He just goes out and scatters the seed far and wide. And in doing so, you know, some of it falls on the rocky ground, some of it falls on the path and the thorny ground, as well as on the good soil. A couple of years ago, I I laid a a new lawn in the house that we own. I did my research on the internet, uh, and I ordered this like supersonic, can-grow-anywhere grass seed. Uh, And at first, I was worried that I wouldn't have enough seed to cover the whole area I wanted the lawn to grow in. And so I started sort of dribbling out uh, this grass seed onto the soil. But I soon realized that you need quite a lot of seed to grow a lawn. And some of it initially didn't take root either. And so I started to scoop huge handfuls of this grass seed. I probably did it a little bit over generously, but I have a great lawn now. And, and, and I just lobbed it everywhere over the soil. And some of the soil wasn't so good either. And so I had to overseed the lawn a few weeks later, scatter more seed to ensure that a full lawn grew. We have this good news salvation through Jesus. If we really believe it's worth living for, we need to be generous in sharing. But also we need to be generous in sowing because the seed does not always land on good soil. Some seed may land on the rocky or the thorny places and we need to be prepared for that too. And maybe you've become a despondent sower. People around you know you're a Christian. You've tried to share your faith perhaps through the things you've said or the way that you've lived your life. And that person you desperately want to become a Christian is still not interested. Or no one even ever asks you the questions that could open up the opportunity for you to share your faith. Or maybe you've had so many conversations with that person or prayed for so long or asked so many times for this or that person to come along to the Alpha course. You're thinking, What is the point now? You've sown the seed, but when it's scorched or it doesn't take root, you just think, what is the point? But even if we are despondent, the Bible reminds us constantly that sowing the seed, sharing the good news, is all our jobs. Paul says we are to be people who reconcile others to Christ and to be ambassadors for him. Paul puts it blatantly in Romans 10 when he says this, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. We're called to sow generously. Even a light touch maybe the seed that starts someone on the road to them becoming a Christian. And we can all take a part. Why don't you invite someone uh, to your Connect Group social in a few weeks' time? Or maybe invite uh, somebody to that manifesto, Euro 2016 event. It's about sowing a seed. Or maybe a question at the right moment is what you need to do. So what do you think about religion? Have you ever thought about coming along to church? Do you ever pray about anything? It may be an act of selfless kindness, love, acceptance, or generosity that sparks interest in somebody's heart. It may be through faithfully praying for someone. Jesus teaches in Matthew 9, 
Jesus' teaching in Matthew 9 is helpful here to those of us who are feeling despondent. When Jesus has been preaching the good news of the kingdom of God and healing people, we hear that he has compassion on all the many people he sees around him who are harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. And at that point, on seeing these masses of needy people, Jesus tells his followers this, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Our job may be to simply be the friend, to sow the seed and to pray. But it may be somebody else's job to bring in the harvest. We may never see the fruit of our labours, and that's okay. In my last job as a school chaplain, I lived as a Christian in the middle uh, of a school community, and I spoke to about a thousand people every week about Jesus. And I know that a lot of what I said and what I lived just fell on the path or the rocky ground or the thorny ground. I'd stand there every Monday morning and every Friday evening in front of about 600 uh, teenagers and, and staff, and whatever the message was, the one key message was always, God loves you. And the depressing reality was that this message fell on about 300 or so sets of deaf ears, where that incredible news was just simply snatched away. But I also believe that even in those many weeks when the seed fell on the rocky ground or the thorny ground, who was I to say that one day that teenager or that member of staff wouldn't come into the school with ears ready to hear? Or maybe the seed had been sown and was just laying dormant somewhere, ready for that, that some point and the right conditions for it to take root. It was always a real joy for me to hear of someone who had uh, become a Christian years after leaving the school. And that always constantly challenged me not to limit the power of God to transform. My job was simply to sow the seed generously and allow the Holy Spirit to do the rest. What does it mean for you to sow seeds of dissatisfaction? to help the soil become more fertile or to sow generously where you are, into your children's lives, into your workplace and your work life, with your friends or your wider family. As we come to the close, I'm gonna ask Donna just to come up to the front. Um, Donna is a member of our evening congregation. She's been coming along to P's and G's for a couple of uh, months now, and it's been a real joy getting to know her over the past few weeks. And I've just asked her to come and share uh, some of our, her story with us because it really relates to what we're talking about today. So, Donna, could you just tell us a little bit about your sort of life um, until you became a Christian? Yeah, I was initially brought up in the Catholic Church. Um, for me, looking back, it was kind of going through the motions. That's what was expected of me. Um, I battled a long time with my sexuality and decided to discuss that with my priest. Um, he said I'd meet a nice man and settle down one day. <laughs> um, I said that wasn't going to happen. That, that wasn't how I felt. And so he said he no longer wanted me in his church. Um, so, yeah, that was the end of my sort of what with Christ at the time. Um, 
And what was your life like then after that? Did it all sort of run smoothly? Um, no, I mean, like everybody else, had my ups and downs. Um, went through a number of tough times. I lost my mother to cancer. Uh, I lost a partner to suicide. And so, yeah, things were quite tough. Uh, so what happened uh, to bring you to know Jesus? Um, alongside my full-time job, I'm, I'm studying for a degree part-time. And I was given somebody in terms of some study skills support. Uh, so this woman, Jen, come round every couple of weeks to help me and support me. Uh, Jen was a Christian, still is. <laughs> she, not that that's what we'd be talking about. She would be there supporting me in my studies. And she knew I was in a tough place. She knew I was struggling to cope with life. And on one particularly tough session, she... She left at the end of the session, went home. A couple of hours later, I got a text from her uh, with a Bible verse, which, because I knew Libby would be asking me what it was. <laughs> um, yeah, from Revelations 3.20, it was, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And then she put on the bottom organised religion may have let you down but Jesus doesn't and I thought very nice <laughs> you know I didn't think too much of it at the time um, I just said to her thanks for for that and put it to one side and then the next day I was in quite a dark place and picked up the phone and had another look and it prompted me to pick up a bible um, this was all on holy week uh, this year and then it got to Easter Sunday and something made me get up and go out and get walking. And I walked for miles and then I walked up Arthur's seat and I prayed and I prayed for, for at least an hour and then was just struck by this overwhelming feeling of love, of, of God in my heart, just... Just, yeah, just this complete, unconditional love that's washed right over me. Brilliant. Yeah. So you met Jesus at the top of Arthur's seat. At the top of Arthur's seat. Place to be. <laughs> On Easter Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't script it better. Oh. So what's it been like since for you? You've been a Christian for a couple of months. Yeah, just a couple of months. So it's, it's early days, but yeah, it's, it's been great. I'm in a happier, calmer, better place. Uh, I've been coming here and between you know yourselves and the, the connect group that I go to and everything everybody's been so welcoming so loving mm. helping me to learn how to pray because mm. I'm struggling with that a bit at the moment nobody there's no handbook on it <laughs> well apparently there's this bible thing but I'm working on that <laughs> um so yeah I'm learning how to pray and getting stronger in my faith every day and you know I'm loving knowing Christ and and sharing it with all you guys. Thank you. Thanks, Donna. Uh, let's come back. Well, let's just um, let's just pray for Donna, shall we? Loving God, I just thank you so much uh, for Jen and the way that she just saved that seed into Donna's life and took courage to send that text message. 
Uh, just pray that you bless her today. And thank you for Donna. Thank you for meeting her where she was and showing her yourself in a really amazing way. And we pray that as she continues uh, to grow in you, that she will grow deeper in her relationship with you every day and continue to be a blessing to others too. Uh, just protect her and surround her in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. The thing that struck me most when I first met Donna um, at the end of an evening service, her first time in church, uh, was when she told me about Jen and that text message uh, that Jen had taken the courage to send. Uh, Jen sowed that little seed into Donna's life and the Holy Spirit did the rest up Arthur's seat. Every time I hear somebody's story of coming to faith in Jesus, I hear about somebody who sows a seed into their life. It might have been years before. It might have been the week before. And often it's nothing immense. It might be just a word or a text message or a prayer or an invitation to something. Are you and I ready to be used by God this morning to sow a seed, one that he will water and maybe others will harvest, not us, but will lead to somebody coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour.